Hello and good evening. Welcome to the very first Straight Talking English podcast. Coming to you from sunny and almost definitely very snowy by now, Greenwich in South London. My name is Catherine. I am a qualified English teacher here to talk to you in a most unteacher-like fashion to get you the absolute nuts and bolts that you need to do your English literature paper. I'm focusing on the set texts from AQA and the AQA anthology poems because they're quite popular and also they're the ones that I've taught for the longest. I'm going to kick us off today by talking us through one of my favourite poems due to the quite ridiculous amount of bootlicking going on there. Just a bit concerned he's going to get polish in his mouth right now. Of course, I am talking about The Charge of the Light Brigade by Alfred Lord Tennyson. The easiest way to access a poem, of course, is through the context. It's also the easiest way to make the links for your comparative paper. The year is 1854. The Turkish Empire, aka the Ottoman Empire, has been going strong for about 350 years. But unfortunately now, things are looking a little bit wonky for them. The good thing is that they are in possession of a very, very fine warm water port on the Black Sea. Russia wants it because, let's face it, Russian winters are snowy and frozen and I'm led to believe a bit rubbish. So having a warm water port in the south of their country would be tremendously beneficial. Brits also want control of the Black Sea because 19th century... Britain, India, Empire, wouldn't it be nice to stop off halfway, kind of like having a layover on a flight between London and India? Turkey at this point, well, I'm using Turkey and the Ottoman Empire interchangeably. The Ottoman Empire also covered a lot of things that right now aren't Turkey, but the capital is Istanbul. So I'm going to use them interchangeably. Apologies to anyone that confuses or is just really inaccurate towards... Turkey's been called the quote-unquote sick man of Europe for a while. Tensions between Britain and Russia come to a head and they are unwilling to talk about it like reasonable adults. And the Crimean War begins with both powers trying to take over this point. Crimean War, of course, is famous for being the point where Florence Nightingale and Mary Seacole did their work, kind of kick-starting off the reformation of British nursing, turning it from... Less likely that you're just randomly going to die from any number of horrific diseases into a respected profession that people actually want to do. The Light Brigade are 600 people. They are sent in to capture a bastion of Russian guns. You'd think it would be sensible to equip them properly, but no. By light, we don't mean shiny. We mean light as in travelling light. So they're on horses... They've got lances, oh my gosh, think jousting, which was popular 600 years before, and handheld swords, no armour. This unit is designed to be quick, do your reconnaissance, get what you need, get out, very quick to manoeuvre. And they have this beautiful heroic charge where they're going to capture the guns. It does not take a genius to see... Go on a horse with a lance versus what's essentially a machine gun. It's not going to end especially well. Out of 100, 600, 198 are killed. Many, many more are wounded. Many are taken prisoner. 
And of course, the saddest part is that 334 horses were killed. The ponies did not sign up for this. It caused a bit of a scandal back in England, as you can imagine, because news travelling slow, it took about three weeks for it all to break. And the commander responsible for ordering the charge was treated as a bit of a scapegoat. It's all his fault. Tried to like, write a letter into the main paper, the London Gazette, to clear his name. They refused to print the letter. It all got a little bit celebrity weird. But six weeks after the battle, almost to the day, Tennyson publishes this poem in the Gazette. We're talking high readership among the upper and middle classes. So also talking people who are relatively educated. The contemporary reader is going to have a very different reaction to the way that we do. A lot of the references they are going to get, we are not going to get off the top of our heads. Classic example is the Cossacks and Russians that they talk about. So a Cossack literally is someone from the Ukraine. A Russian is someone from Russia. Some things don't change. But Cossack has quite a lot of baggage associated with it. Instead of it referring to just a standard person who is from the Ukraine, it has this medieval savage image. Think the furry kind of circular hats shouting, waving a sword, come to burn down your barn on a horseback. It's got this like instinctive, uncivilised, dangerous baggage. Russian, on the other hand, again, literally the same meaning, someone from Russia. But contact with Russia had been a bit sketchy in the preceding centuries. The only modern contact with Russia of note was about 60 years before this poem was written when Peter the Great did his great embassy around Europe. So they've only really got to know Russians firsthand within living memory. Despite Peter the Great's modernising and westernising lifestyle, things like he got rid of the old army and got a new one that's got nice uniforms, Russian was seen as a bit weird. Lots of vodka, can't be trusted, churches are different, all the little things that irked British high society in the 19th century were present in their perception of Russians. So it's saying Russians and Cossacks, proper nouns, capital letters, it's synonymous with uncivilised, dangerous people who are coming for you. This is what I mean by things that don't translate. We now know that Russian and Ukrainian people are basically the same as everyone else. If you are Russian and or Ukrainian and you're listening to this, please enlighten me. Are there going to be any swords and barn burnings? But I doubt it. These things are not obvious to us now. They would be very obvious to Tennyson's audience. Another factor to bear in mind about the differences between contemporary audiences and us in 2019 is that the average population are more religious. Not everyone in Victorian England was a churchgoer and the predominant faith is Anglicanism, Church of England. But 
on average, church attendance was much higher. So when we're looking at the Romantic and the 19th century poems, the biblical allusions, the references to Christian faith are going to be open. They're going to be recognised. It's not going to be something that needs explaining, which is kind of good for me because it means that I get to explain something to you guys and hopefully you'll get something out of this. As my dad would say, Let's get into the nitty gritty of this. I don't actually, never actually heard anyone say that except my dad. So a big shout out to my dad. I'm not even looking at the language. I've got the anthology open in front of me. I'm just thinking about the structure of what I can see. I've got five fairly regular stanzas and one little one at the end. At the top of each one, I can see mostly some repetition to start. And we have 600 as the repeated line at the end of each one. What does it look like? If I kind of squint to ignore my annotation, it looks like a song. In fact, it's not just any old song. It's a ballad. And I don't mean like first dance at a wedding kind of vibe. I mean medieval. Picture minstrel coming to your village, telling you songs of King Arthur and Robin Hood and St George. We've got this tradition of the noble ballad with the great deeds. And this is the form it's written in. It's supposed to be sung. So this is why we've got what looks like song verses. It's got a very clear structure, full of the same ideas repeated. We know the purpose of repetition is to highlight the writer's main point, and he's doing it. He's only got a couple of main points, and he is pushing, pushing, pushing them. So how about those language features? This is what we're here for. Let's do a little bit of feature spotting. So, we have... Lots and lots and lots and lots and lots and lots and lots of repetition. The 600. The 600. He's setting up these numbers to be like a shorthand or synonymous image in the reader's mind that we know represents the Light Brigade. I'll give you an example. If I said the numbers 9 and 11 to you, you'd think World Trade Center. I said 600 to you, the reader's going to be like, oh, Light Brigade tragedy, shorthand. We've got the rhetorical questions. We've got two big ones. When can their glory fade? Was there a man dismayed? We know the purpose of a rhetorical question is not to expect an answer. It's directed at the reader or an intended audience, or like another character, to make thought happen, to make us consider a point. And without who here, was there a man dismayed? When can their glory fade? The answer is a resounding, no! No one was dismayed, because we all work together, we are the noble 600. When can their glory fade? Never, because we're treating them like mythical heroes. We all know the story of Robin Hood. It's very old. That's the same thing he's going for. They will become timeless, immortal heroes. 
Let's think about some alliteration too, because that's an easy one. Alliteration creates a sense of urgency. The world wondered. We've got this idea that everybody is biting their nails, waiting for the letters to come through their letterbox to find out what's happening again. We're building up this impression that they are so important, so powerful, so heroic. But what's really, really, really cool is this extended metaphor of the apocalypse. Bear with me on this one, because it does work. Think of the title, The Light Brigade. He could have said those soldiers that don't have much stuff deliberately picked the word light. All the way through, we've got these biblical allusions. As I said before, completely clear to a contemporary audience don't mean much to us. First stanza, line three, valley of death. I mangled this on my first rehearsal, so I'm crossing my fingers this time. As I walk in the valley of the shadow of death, I have my rod and my staff, something, something. It's the Lord's Prayer. I am not a churchgoer, but it is on the introduction of Gangster's Paradise by Coolio, which is what I'm hoping is more I'm hoping is a better reference. Anyway, Lord's Prayer, these are the good guys. They have the power of God on their side. They're going in. We've got the jaws of death. We've got the mouth of hell. We've got this extreme personified language. These things are out to get you. We've got glory. Think, well, the main thing that comes into my head is either Glory Hallelujah by Frank Turner or um, Nativity Scene. Nativity plays at primary school. We've got glory linked to the angels. We've got this sense of honouring them. While we should give honour, like New Year's honours list, this idea is again religious. We've got the smoke darkness we've got the shattering all the words that are used to describe the quote-unquote the bad guys i'm doing air quotes you can't see it are dark our heroes are light we've got this really really overblown hyperbolic analogy that this really strange little territorial war is the apocalypse And how cool is that? He's taken something really small and turned it into this ultimate blockbuster for his readers back home. Now, trust me, this is going to get much cooler. When we think of the rhythm, the rhythm is supposed to sound like a horse's hooves. So we get the sensory impression of the horse speeding up. I'm not very good at this. I wish I had some coconuts like in Monty Python. But it goes a bit like half a league, half a league, half a league onwards, all in the valley of death road the 600. Very regular. And as I say, it's supposed to be this representative quality. With the punctuation, all it's just got this inevitable sense of flow. Very little separation. The apostrophes thing is weird as well because it's volleyed and thundered. Inevitably, when I say to a student, why is that there? They'll say, oh, it was like that in the olden days. No, it wasn't. He's doing it to make it seem older than it 
is to go back on this medieval legend thing. He also wants to make it fit the hoofbeats rhythm. So it seems like through the jaws of the valleys of death. That That's what he's doing. Remember, exclamation points represent the extreme emotion that we should be feeling. Our colons represent a separation of ideas. And semicolon, it's got like these linked ideas that are still going on. So we've got a sense of flow, again showing the men on the horseback, and then these distinctive separations. In my mind, it shows forts or bastions, and it kind of represents the battlefield. But you could also argue that it represents people dying as well. So like a separation between their life and death. I... As I mentioned this, you might have got this already. I love this poem. And he's put in the sneakiest little bit of the tiniest little sprinkling of blame. Because he's got blundered. I mean, who blunders? A kid who goes into the bathroom while their parents having a shower. It's a very immature, innocent little word. It does not link to someone who's just ordered the slaughter of 200 people while he's acknowledging that something went wrong not placing blame making it all seem very sweet very cute one more thing before i go mostly because it's nearly midnight as i'm recording this and i really need to get to bed is pronouns pronouns we know we use them in place of a name so Matthew went to make dinner, he went to make dinner. There is a bit of dialogue, forward the light brigade charge for the guns, it's repeated later, with the he said. He is not named. The he could be any soldier, could be us, could be the general, could be anybody. Pronouns, when they're used in place of names, give power think Voldemort he who shall not be named think when the school principal introduces a new rule and all the students go but she told me yeah we're indicating who's in power he said the soldiers have agency they are choosing to do this there's not to make reply there's not to reason why there's but to do and die they are choosing to follow orders, choosing to be heroes. And that's why it's this act of self-sacrifice that's being celebrated. Whew. Just a really quick blitz through Charge of the Light Brigade. If you've enjoyed this, please subscribe. Give me some feedback. If you've got a favourite poem you'd like me to talk about, if you completely disagree and you think Charge of the Light Brigade, what a load of old tosh let me know and I will speak to you very, very soon about Wilfred Owen's exposure. Good night, God bless and happy annotating.